Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode four of Cultivator of Weird. We have the fearless Courtney McBroom with us today. She's a straight up badass in the culinary dark arts. After she helped helm the flagship Momofuku Milk Bar here in Brooklyn, she cut out to LA to go into business for herself. Most recently, self-producing and launching her own cooking show called Ruin Table, which should drop later this year. Uh, she's an inspiration and overall badass lady, and I was stoked to have her on the show. Enjoy episode four with the queen of queso herself, Courtney McBroom. I started recording since you came on. Oh, great! Perfect. But we let, let's let's go ahead and give it a formal uh, a formal intro. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. I, I it, I've always wanted. I cannot wait until I have some sort of video element involved with this, so I can have a producer right. that's literally just there to do the countdown the way the guy does in Wayne's World, <laughs> where he hit three, two. One. But you're not supposed to say the last. It's, it's five, four, yeah. three. Yes. So what if, you know, what the people listening won't know is that I was moving my hands vigorously and making a number two and a number one symbol and then did the old swooping point. Well, they don't matter because I'm going to edit this out anyways. Oh, no. This, this is, is all getting cut. This is, gonna be, this is gonna, probably going to be the best part of the whole thing. <laughs> it's only right. going downhill from here. No, no, no. There's there is mysteries afoot. <laughs> mysteries. <laughs> I am sitting here. I have the pleasure of chatting with the Queen of Queso. Yes. The ice cream dreamer. Yes. The Duchess of Cake. Yes. The cupcake queen. <laughs> Courtney Motherfucking McBroom. Hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Old it's buddy. fantastic to have you. What are you what are you drinking on there? Um, I'm drinking a white wine called Vin de France, as in and it's spelled F-R-A-N-T-Z, that my friend Jill sent me. She owns a wine shop here in LA called Domain LA. Um, and it's a really, really great, fantastic wine shop that if you are in LA, you should go to. What area of LA? in west west hollywood nice so i don't make it there often because i live on the east side but um the quarantine has really changed it up so they they delivered to me so it's great they wouldn't do that before but now they do (laughs) that vip treatment um we have we have a place here called dandelion in greenpoint that does deliveries as well and they are phenomenal uh a little plug for dandelion in greenpoint but uh, they were admitting people into the store to like pick their own wine for a while when this all started. And then they literally put a bungee cord across the front and are only doing online orders now. So that happened. Yeah, that's how it is in LA too. Everything's closed. No one's allowed to go into stores. It's a nutty little world we are currently existing in. You know what's weird though? And this speaks to my FOMO, my life of FOMO is I'm, I have, I'm in my mind, I'm convinced that there's places that are open that are like secret spots and there's people hanging out and I just don't know about it because I'm not cool enough, but like, not that I would want to be there because we're not supposed to be hanging out with people, but I still 
And I, actually, I'm sure there are places. I'm sure there are like underground parties happening right now, which is kind of fucked up. But I'm also a little bit upset that I'm, I wouldn't go, but I at least want to be invited. Yeah. I have weird moments at night where I think that places like seedier places, like the box for like <laughs> Uber VIP bags, are like throwing these wicked parties at night that are like quarantine apocalypse parties and just... And, yeah. and I'm like, never, no part of me wants to be there. No, no, thank you. But I'm like, there's, there's stuff. There's got to be stuff happening like that. Yeah. For sure. With, with all the weirdness and, and craziness, like there is, I, I know that there is a certain um, caliber of person that's like, I'm not letting this shit stop me. Like we're throwing fucking parties. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or maybe we're both really wrong and just suffer terribly from a, a FOMO disorder. <laughs> we have we have undiagnosed FOMO. <laughs> we should both be on uh, some FOMO form of Ritalin. Oh, yeah, what would the, what would that even be? What would it, what would it, what would it make you feel like? You would take it. Xanax. Like, it would just be Xanax. <laughs> yeah, you take it. And you would just automatically know that wherever you are is the best place to be. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's also ecstasy, though. Or cocaine. <laughs> Not that I would know. I've heard about it. Doing cocaine in quarantine would be like, what? what is a good analogous moment for that? I tiger mean, cage. Tiger cage. Yeah. Yeah. But be- you're the tiger in the cage. Exactly. Yeah. 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 What a fucking moment. Um, well, catch me up on the latest and greatest. You like, you had this... Um, illustrious career here in New York at Milk Bar. You've yeah. since moved to lovely, sunny LA and are like doing this. I've been on this crazy entrepreneurial run and like just consulting now and it's fucking awesome. But like, give me, uh, give me the details on, on life, life as we know it now. Current life or life in, from the beginning? Tell me like- everything. <laughs> Okay, I was born a poor girl in Wichita, Kansas. No, um, I was born in Wichita, Kansas, but um, then I moved to Texas. But I'm not going to actually tell you my entire life story. Yeah, I, um, well, as you know, I lived in New York City for a long time. And the reason you know that is because we were roommates. Dun, dun, dun. You have to spill the freaking beans. <laughs> yeah, so... It was good times. We had some fun. Anyway, yeah. So I was the culinary director at Milk Bar, and I was at Milk Bar for like five, five years, I believe. And then I moved to LA. Well, actually, then I came out to LA and then I kind of did that whole stra- East Coast and West Coast straddle, where I would spend time in LA and then I'd spend time in New York. So it was a wild time full of fun and opportunity. And then I, um, I think about. Four years ago, I had to, it was decision making time and I kind of needed to choose one. And honestly, it was one of the hardest decisions I've made. I'm ultimately happy that I chose LA over New York, at least for now, although I do miss New York when the weather's nice <laughs> in New York. I don't miss New York in the winter. Um, no, and you certainly don't miss it right now. I don't miss New York right now um, either, but there's definite times where I'm like, oh, I wish I were in New York right now. But um, anyway, yeah, so I, I, in, in Los Angeles, I started doing pop-ups and started a queso company with my friend Leslie. 
um, called Large Marge. And we made, uh, actually, there's a little bit of a Large Marge renaissance happening right now. One of the products we made was um, a chili oil. And Helen Johannesson, who runs Helen Wines and like does all the wine program for John and Vinny's and Animal, that whole um, restaurant group here in L.A., Son of a Gun. Um, she started carrying, she, they used to sell our food products and over the holidays, she wanted more of the chili oil, which I hadn't made in years. So, but I made her some cause they wanted to put the chili oil in gift packs. And then just a week ago, she was like, Courtney, we need more chili oil. We sold out of everything you made. I guess with the quarantine, everything happening, the chili oil is just flying off the shelves. So I made um, a huge batch of chili oil. That's what I've been doing all day before this. So if you're in LA and this, um, and you want some old school, well, it's not old. I just made it today, but old school is in large marge, which is not even a thing that exists anymore. Chili. You're really pumping it up right now. Yeah. It's good. You're shit. doing a fantastic job. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So anyway, yeah. So uh, chili oil is made artisanally by the great Courtney McBroom and can be found where? Um, it can be found on Helen on Helen's Wines website. You can order nice. it online. Yes. That's where you find it. I'm pretty sure. And I'm pretty sure I have a good idea of where the name Large Marge came from. But just give me a little backstory on that because it's a fantastic name. Yeah. So I mean I'm at Pee-wee's Her- Pee-wee Herman, Large Marge. Yes. Tell him Large Marge since you had the ghost, the best ghost in the world. Well, one of the best. I have a ghost story for you later, if you care to hear it. One hundred percent in. Um, but yeah, so Pee Wee Herman, and also um, it was a joke with some friends that my alt is also my alter ego because I sometimes can get um, a bit overbearing and loud. I never noticed that about you ever. Really? I just want to say that you've always been a very calm, collected, mild-mannered person. I've never seen you lose your shit. You're absolutely lying right now, aren't you? <laughs> I've heard of such things running amok in our fair city, but I never was a party to such an occasion. Okay. So I can't speak to that. All right. So we have this uh, initial like LA launch with Large Marge kind of fizzled out, but like, well, kind it didn't fizzle out. I chose to stop doing it. Fair enough. To me, there's a difference. <laughs> there's okay. a huge difference. No, no, no. I ultimately decided, because it's one of those things where, um, so I was making, so we made chili oil, we made queso, and we made churro cakes. Um, and, pra- and we made pralinella, which was like a pecan praline spread that was delicious. All super good all super awesome. But the, the long, and then my business partner, Leslie, she ended up having a baby and she decided to step down, which was great. Um, but then I was, um, doing it by myself. And so I had more, I had to really think about like, is this really what I want, what I want to be doing with my life? Do I want to make queso all day, every day for my life? Sure. And it's just a little bit, it was, it, it felt a, a little bit, I got a little bit bored doing the same thing over and over again, which I think is an issue. And a lot of, a lot of times in, in the food industry and in kitchens in general is 
you know, people get into it because it's like this big creative thing, right? But at the end of the day, especially if you're working on a line or working in a restaurant, you're making the same shit over and over and over again. Yeah, there's there's that great uh, James Murphy documentary that's called Shut Up and Play the Hits. And I immediately thought about that in conjunction with so many restaurants that I've worked with over the years. And I'm sure so many things that you've done over the years um, that kind of ties full circle into the idea of like having to kind of kill your darlings in a way because mm-hmm. you make this thing and you know, it's fucking awesome and you can stand behind it. It might not even be the, the item that you feel like the most passionate about, like that you put your most into the creative process and it might not mean the most to you because it's not like one of those things that you ate when you were young and there's like that sensory memory to but for some reason it hits and then like seven out of the 10 covers in a given ticket or whatever the case may be is at least, you know, at least the greater portion of your dinner service is comprised or dessert service for that matter is comprised of making that one fucking thing or God forbid eater or, you know, Grub Street or infatuation or so many other places, right? Write it up. And then (laughs) you just become known for, you yeah, know, like, yeah, the funnel totally. cake burger. Yeah, and the, <laughs> yeah, the funnel, yeah. Well, remember ramen burgers? Remember when those came out? I want to forget so bad. Oh, I, just want no, to I ate one. I actually kind of like it. Let them die. But the other thing that I'll say about that too is like the economy of scale in the food industry. If you want, if you have a CPG company, which is consumer packaged goods, which is what Large Marge ultimately was, because I didn't want to open a restaurant, I didn't want to be a caterer for a lot of reasons, which we can talk about that too. But in, like, in order to make money doing that, the amount of food that you have to make and sell eventually goes to like co-packers, which are like factories that make it for you, or you open your own co-packing facility. But I feel like so much can't, it's so easy for things to be lost when you scale up and you have to make certain decisions that affect the quality almost always. And I, I'm personally... And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now or trying to, um, cause I don't, I, although I, I know the importance of mass produced food, especially now, like I eat frozen pizza all the time. Like, um, and mass produced food is an important part of life, especially as Americans. But I really think it's important that we try to like support local small business farms, cook for ourselves as much as possible. Um, and I didn't necessarily want to be a leading voice in, in like the cake, like the mass produced um, processed cheese movement. <laughs> Not that there is a, a movement, but I thought maybe there would be if I had kept doing it because it was so good. <laughs> what are you drinking? Is that a Negroni? Uh, it's an Appy Spritz. Oh, Appy Spritz. Yeah, I'm a fancy. Uh... Oh. oh, my glass. I'm going to try to make it through this entire bottle while we're sitting here. Mm-hmm. Um. No, so I, I can uh, I can attest personally to the fact that you have one of, nay, dare I say, the best <laughs> uh, queso recipes that I have tasted. So that whole lineage of you know launching those entrepreneurial endeavors with Leslie and everything makes perfect sense to me. But like, I know that that portion of and that style of cooking for you is something that's super personal. And like, yeah. I, I'm curious where that kind of started 
in Wichita and then in Texas and like what kind of began what what like sparked the interest into cooking and then eventually um brought you to a point where you were like this is the shit that I want to do forever right yeah I always when I was a kid I cooked all the time my grandma gave me a Care Bears cookbook Care Bear Kids cookbook that I would make I would make stuff out of it like every day but I um and I grew up eating, like growing up in Queso. I grew up in Queso. <laughs> I basically did though. I grew up in Texas and that's like, Queso is like ubiquitous there. Like every place has it. And it was when I first left Texas to move to New York, I was shocked at, at its absence. And I was, I knew that I needed to bring Queso to the rest of the, rest of the country at least. Um, I have to know in this Care Bear cookbook was, was part of the like overall theme that you don't, with the cookbook, you don't shoot love out of your stomach at other people, but you shoot love into their stomach exactly. with your food. No, but God, I wish there that was the case. I feel like that had to go across the table in the writer's room and they just shot it down because they were like too much sexual innuendo. True, but I also don't think there was a writer's room. I think it was just some sad, lonely person sitting alone. Some Paul Giamatti character alone in an apartment? Yes. 100% I agree with you. Um, but yeah, so like my my parents divorced when I was very young, and my dad moved away. And it was just me and my mom my sister. And my mom kind of was... She went back to school and she worked nights. And she wasn't around either. So it was really just me and my sister most of the time, my younger sister. So I cooked. I was the one that cooked for us. And and to be clear, that my specialty back then was a little something called black pepper hot dogs. Yes. <laughs> I would slice up. Maybe that's why. I, oh, well, that's probably why I love hot dogs so much today. I would slice up hot dogs and put them in a pan and just pour black pepper on them and cook them until they're almost burnt we're like oh. black hot dogs anyway um or sometimes we would have ice cream for dinner too just before a lot there's a lot of tuna helper happening as well anyway um so i cooked a lot as a kid but not but not like what are those cooking shows that have kids in them today that are like the kids are like insanely like oh i've made this blah 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 doo, doo, doo. they're awful and none of them should exist <laughs> Um, but it wasn't that kind of cooking. It was like, uh, I don't know what I'm doing. Let's just figure it out type situation, which is my, my go-to in, in California when I was a kid, because we're in the only reason that I'm bringing that into it is because we had, it's something that you really can't get on the East coast now is uh, sourdough bread from Colombo was my shit. And we would cut an entire loaf of that in half cover it in the not we wouldn't make tomato sauce we would use the shit right out of the jar like the prego tomato sauce yeah and then cover that in cheese and that was that was like broke ass pizza dude that sounds fucking amazing that's like pizza ultimately was absolutely fire which i didn't realize until i remade it when i went home recently but like there's definitely placebo there. Like pepper hot dogs, I'm sure are something that you could recreate now and be like, I'm 10 again. <laughs> yeah. I eat hot dogs all the time. I don't know if you know this, but I found it. I made a club called the Hot Dog Appreciation Club. 
I started it about two years ago and it's hilarious. I did it because I was literally drunk one night on, and, and I was like, I'm going on Instagram and I'm telling the world about hot dogs. And <laughs> I did. And then like, it just kind of turned into me posting a lot about hot dogs. I was like, fuck it. I'm starting a club. If anyone wants to send me their address, I'll send you, if you want to join the club, I'll send you an official hot dog badge. And people like did. Now there's like hundreds, there's like hundreds of members. It's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> and the funniest part is people will send me hot dog content all the time, like via direct message on Instagram. And every time it's like, a, it'll be like a photo and the photo will be blacked out. And it says maybe since like, may, what is it that says like, may have had sensitive, sensitive material. material. <laughs> and then like, and then I'll tap it. And it'll, it's always just like a really like weird looking, like long wiener hot dog. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the best anyway so yeah that's because full circle yes um but yeah so i cooked a lot as a kid and then i stopped cooking when i went to college and i thought i was going to be a writer i went to journalism school but mostly i was just partying let's be real um at, at university of texas in austin and um i remember like right when we were about to graduate it was like the um it was like, we were supposed to meet with our the senior professor and talk about like what our goals were to like get into the, like what types of, uh, were they called internships we wanted, like next steps and who would help, you know, and he was like a really, well, I guess UT had a really good journalism school. Like I was lucky to be there and I was lucky to have this man's help whose name I can't remember. But so I get, so we're meeting with him one-on-one and it was my turn to go in. And I go in, he's like, so what do you want to do? Like, what are your plans? Like, how can I help you? And I, <laughs> I told him, I was like, well, sir, to be quite honest, I've become completely disenchanted with journalism going through this program. And I don't want to be a journalist anymore. Thank you. And he was like, oh, okay, well, I guess you don't have anything um, left to talk about then. And I was like, no, sir, we don't. I said, good day, sir. And basically, and then I I walked outside and I was like, what? I was like, I just threw away my entire education. I didn't throw it away, but I just like, why the fuck did I do that? No, I'm sorry. Like Wilson Phillips, you broke free from the fucking chains, my friend. (laughs) Well, because like, I, you know, like I went into it being like, oh, this is going to be so cool. It's going to be so awesome. And then like all, I felt like. It's it's certainly of all the creative. I didn't want to be a journalist. I wanted to be a creative writer. Really, is the problem. And like, I thought being a journalist would be an easy way to be able to write and make money without having to worry about like whether or not I was that um, talented. Not that I mean that made it sound really bad. Journalists are very talented people, but there's like a there's a process that you follow to write. And and I also and like I feel like there's ways to get around it. I'm putting my foot in my mouth. Journalists are very talented. I didn't mean to say that they're not. I think what you're alluding to is a similar feeling. So I've told this story before, but I will tell it again because I think a lot of people have this moment and they, for fear of throwing away time or effort or energy, they turn a blind eye to it. They don't follow through with it. And they let 40 years pass. And then they look back and they go, fuck, not only did for the purpose of saving what that little period of time was, I've now wasted 
this past 40 years trying to be something that really didn't speak to me. And they, you know, that's the shit that midlife crisis and, you know, uh, retirement freakouts are made of. It's like, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I had a moment when I came here, I thought I was going to be in graphic design. I was all amped up. I said that I would never work in bars or restaurants again and blah, 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 because I, I loved it. And I loved hospitality at that point. I just didn't know it necessarily to the degree that I do now, but um, I, I had a couple of these different interviews where I had to wear these really uncomfortable outfits and I had to go into these offices and I would talk to these people that were just dead in the face. And like, you know, they, they would be reading you these pre-scripted, uh, interview questions off a piece of paper. And it was all from HR and corporate and, yeah. You know, I'm not shitting on that. There's a place for that. I think a lot of really amazing things happen out of environments like that. I just knew it wasn't for me because I remember leaving those conversations and going, okay, I answered all the questions the way that they wanted me to, but I have no idea who that person in there was. Absolutely. That yeah. wasn't me. I, that's, I, I would never, in a regular conversation to anyone else, literally anyone, I would maybe never talk like that ever. And the shit that I was saying was completely, um, it was completely disingenuous. And I, I think you have those moments in life where you either grasp onto those, those moments and you take that rush of fear and you use it to your advantage or you don't. And that's where really right. interesting shit comes from. Yeah. And you know what? I just thought of this. I think deep down, I knew that I didn't want to be writing about other people. Okay. I wanted other people to be writing about me. I know that sounds really maybe narcissistic. I don't know. And like that doesn't, hasn't even really happened yet, but I knew at the end of the day, like my, I, my, I wanted my voice to be heard, not in, not talking about someone else or telling other people's stories. I wanted my voice to be heard telling my own stories and my own experiences. And I, and I'm still trying to figure out what that means exactly. Um, I'm not trying to say that I want like people to write stories about me, but I, I felt like there was, there just wasn't any room to show. You wanted, you wanted to, because I wanted to create, you were looking to create. Looking to create. Yeah. More than just tell a story of what happened and like, did, you know, and there's also like really bad, you know, like investigative journalism is, is amazing and, and wonderful and awesome. And that's definitely creating, um, but, um, I just didn't think it was for me. Yeah. But, um, oh, there, I was going to say something else. What was it? Oh, so yeah. So that happened. I was like, fuck, what am I going to do? I went and got a job working as a, like a, an assistant for a lawyer. And he was a super, super badass, nice guy. I really liked him a lot. He was great to work for, but, um, it was like my first foray, foray, foray <laughs> out into the real world. I'd worked in restaurants, you know, like as a server before that, but this is my first time like dealing with kind of quote unquote reality. And it was really hard for me. Like I would have to call people and, and like people would be like asking about getting like that they needed to pay money or they were getting sued or like whatever it was. And people were just mean and they took it out on me and I hadn't really, you know, dealt with that anymore. And it, uh, I hurt my feelings a lot. Like the reality in the real world came crashing down on me. And I was like, Oh shit, 
it's not all unicorns and butterflies out there. Like it, oh. it was like, I'd been living in a bubble. My, I had been, not like I was, I had been living in a bubble my entire life. Um, for the most part. And so I was like, well, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. I decided to go to culinary school. I went to the pastry school. Um, cause I loved creating things and I, I liked making cakes. So, um, that's what I did. And then I was pastry chef. <laughs> We're still <laughs> 30 minutes later. I'm just answering the first question you asked. Um, but then I worked as a pastry chef at a restaurant in Austin for a long time. And then I was like, I need to get the fuck out of here. Um, or I'm just going to live in Austin and do way too many drugs and nothing, and nothing will become of me. <laughs> so I, um, pa- I literally packed up my car. I got rid of all my shit. I put everything that would fit in my car in my car and drove to New York city. I didn't have a job. I did not have a place to live. I was like, almost like I was so nervous about it that I was pretty much blacked out the whole time. Not because I was like drinking or on any drugs or anything. I was fully sober, but I was just like, I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing? I can't even think about it. And just drove to New York. And then, um, all the best stories start always. And then I emailed, um, Momofuku and was like, can someone milk bar just open? Can you guys hire me? And they did. Yeah. I think that's, you know, uh, that has to be so many different people's stories. I, you know, I got, I got hired at Dumont when I had exhausted myself going to interviews. I got off the L train. I was walking back to my terrible apartment where I lived with and like n- not a bad person by his own right. Very nice guy, but just a horrible roommate. And, uh, I stopped in Dumont for a beer and that was the start of me working in hospitality in New York and the rest is what it is. But, um, that job specifically for you was, uh, a massive like jumping off point. And I remember, you know, people that don't like what they're doing rarely will come home regularly, completely burned out and exhausted from so many days working somewhere and so many different challenges and wake up continuously and go to that job. And when they're asked about it, say how much they really love it or love what they're doing, there may be aspects of it they don't like, but was that, do you think the most challenging thing like career wise that you've done so far? Um, there were absolutely very many challenging things about it, but I also look back on that time as such a, I learned so much about, my limits and about what I could really do if I wanted to, like we were working cause it was the very beginning of milk bar. So we were a small crew and we were, there were a lot of people that wanted to eat milk bar, you know, yeah. and, um, we were opening new, new spots like all the time. And, um, we were working around the clock and there were times where I would have to stop and like literally crawl go into the office and sleep for a few hours. Cause I hadn't slept yet. Like, and I, and like, and I don't think I, and, but it was, but I did it. And, you know, we would work like, in, like, it just, I can't even begin to tell you how many hours we would work and how physical and demanding it was. And then putting on top and then, you know, eventually like managing other people and 
and running it. And you realize that the human mind and the human body is capable of so much more than you think. And I'm not saying you should push yourself to exhaustion all the time, but I think most people give up way earlier than they need to. Like if you have a dream and you want something to happen for yourself, you can do it. Like yeah. the only the only thing that's stopping you is your own mental limitations. That honestly, if you just keep going for a few seconds longer than you think you can, you'll you'll reach a new uh, plateau. Not a new plateau, a new a new zenith. And yeah, you level up, and then you'll plateau, and then you'll get to another zenith. Um, but yeah, so I it, so that was like a very important lesson that I learned at Millfar, as well as knowing that, oh, I can do whatever I want myself. I don't need anyone else to do it for me. Like someone needs to fix the plumbing. Okay. I got it. Like we were all we had. We were, there was like six, six young women. I was in my early thirties. I was in, yeah, I was in my, like, I was like 29 when I started 28 or 29. Anyway, I was young. So I'm still young, but not quite as young. <laughs> I feel like, I, I feel like that's absolutely absolutely correct in so many ways like you know there there's a, a there's a point where you have an idea you're trying to manifest it and i think a lot of people almost will even start to gather the information and realize how much it's going to take of them and how much they're going to have to do and they almost let it die right there in their head Cause they're like, I, you know, or in front of them on the computer screen. And well, it's over- I feel like overwhelming. Yes. But it's also the most rewarding feeling. And I think, you know, I, there's definitely moments where that, that I've had for sure that are very similar to yours at milk bar, where you get to a certain point in your tenure somewhere and you look back and you go, I love this. This is fantastic. But after everything we just did, why am I still doing this for someone else? Absolutely. I have the cheat codes. I've, I have, I have bled. I have cried. I have fucking torn myself in half so that I could be more places at once. Like, you know, and if you do that enough times, or even if you're one of those people that needs to just do it once and you figure that shit out and you know, a a lot of it is guts and opportunity, but like, there is that moment that you definitely have. And without, you know, without those moments, you know, you don't know that you are physically able or mentally capable to push yourself to that place. And it's such a great feeling turning the corner on that and, and getting, getting busy. And, you know, now you're, you're in LA and entrepreneurial AF and entrepreneurial AF. And that's, that's gotta be amazing. It is amazing, but it's also like, you know, there's high highs and low lows to be sure. Yeah. Um, which I think is part, part of it. Absolutely. Is, is there one service? Is there, is there one day or experience that you can speak to where you were like, this is it. I'm throwing in the fucking towel. Like, or, or did that ever happen? I don't know. For my own like personal, um, entrepreneurial journey. No, 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 no. The entrepreneurial stuff I feel like has, has obviously taken you to a different place. I mean, like working for someone else. Yeah. 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 Um, was there a specific day? No, honestly, 
Cause I know like the holidays for you guys were just an absolute neck breaker at every turn. And I don't know if there is not feel free, but I, I feel like every person that does some sort of service oriented job has one of those days that they can remember where they're, they're just like, it just wouldn't stop coming. Honestly, every day was like that. Oh, wow. And not, but not, especially during, especially during the holidays, but not actually, mm, no, I, I mean, nothing like not just like, not, and I don't mean that to be like, every day was horrible. Every day was crazy, but like, you know, eventually you're like, okay, like this can't be it. This can't be what I do for the rest of my life. Got it. hundred percent. No. And you know, and, and that's nothing, it has nothing to do with like the company. I think everyone has that same thought and it doesn't have necessarily anything to do with the company that you're working for, but, um, it's more just to do with who you are as a person and whether or not you want more. And, and, and there's no wrong answer. Like some people are like, yeah, this is exactly what I want to be doing for the rest of my life. It's great. It's stable. I don't have to worry about shit. Um, but the same reason why I went in, you know, and told my journalism professor that like, I was done, like I wasn't going to be a journalist. I knew there was more, like I knew that there was something more that I was supposed to be doing. And, and it's not like, there's no, like, it's not like someone came and handed me a letter and was like, read this. It tells you about all the other things you're supposed to be doing. Like, it's just a feeling that I have still have in my gut that tells me to keep move, to keep it moving. My therapist would say that's just my severe um, fear of commitment. But I say it's a higher power telling me to keep going. There's <laughs> uh, that great moment in, uh, in High Fidelity where John Cusack's doing a monologue with the camera. And he's like, you know what? I realized recently that I've been listening to my gut for the past 34 years. And I've come to the conclusion then my gut has shit for brains. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. I know. Maybe, you know, if anyone's listening to this, maybe don't take anything that I say for a grain of salt because my gut might have shit for brains. Not at all. That was not where I was going with that. <laughs> I was just, I was alluding to the fact that like, it's really, really hard to, to trust that voice in your head because a lot of the time, you know, it, it's a harder decision to make than what's directly in front of you, which is to say, I, I know that there's something else out there. I'm not sure what it is yet, but I'm going to pack up my car and drive to, to New York. And then I'm going to pack up my shit again and go to LA. And, you know, uh, it's, it's hard to start those things, but I, I think those moments are the ones that define an entire life of work for people most of the time, you know? Well, I, I'll tell you what, you, you say it's hard to start them. I would say it's even harder to finish them mm, mm-hmm. in, in like a weird way. Absolutely. Because um, for me, it's like really easy to be like, I've made a decision. I'm going to do something crazy and now I'm doing it. And then I get to the other side. I'm like, I, now I did it and I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. What happens now? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The Courtney McBroom story. <laughs> All right. So lead in what, I mean, I, I know personally that there is this amazing new project coming down the line, uh, Ruin Table, but, um, yeah. you know, speaking of entrepreneurial and uh, entrepreneurial endeavors, um, and taking risks, like what is Ruin Table all about? Like, what is that going to be? What does it look like right now? And like, where did it start? 
Yeah. Well, that's a long story, but I'll try to keep it concise. Um, yeah, ruling table is ultimately what um, my end goal is, and I'm do and I'm working on it right now. But I've been working on it for years. Like this little this little idea, just I will I will not let it die. And um, it started off um, me realizing I felt like there was a disconnect between um, not a disconnect, but there was a huge piece missing in the food industry about the connection that actually happens while you're eating food together. Like you hear like, and as far as food media is concerned in the food shows, it was all, it's starting to change a little bit. Um, but you know, all the food shows are out there, like competition shows that are like shows that made people feel bad. Like, you know, like nameless chefs yelling at someone for not doing a good job or you're talking about Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> I said nameless chefs. Um, and you know, I, I, I'm tired of people feeling bad. I'm tired of other people making other people feel bad. I'm fucking tired of it. Yeah. And um, I wanted to make a a show basically that help lets people gives people a voice and and food and because I'm a chef, food is the um, what allows people to, would be what allowed people to do that. So my plan was, Oh, we'll be a cooking show. We'll show people how to make these fun dinner parties, but it will also be, you know, the connections that happen at the parties and like stories, like kind of like, imagine if we were doing this, but also there was food involved and, and like you've got recipes afterwards. Type yeah. of thing. Um, and like, but really showcasing like the gray areas of life, like not so black and white, not like this person is good. This person is bad. But, like what happens when um, everyone meets in the middle and it can get kind of messy sometimes, hence ruin table. So ruin table is the end of the night uh, when there's a huge mess, tables ruins. There's like dirty plates, there's empty wine bottles, there's cigarette. Well, I guess people don't smoke cigarettes anymore, but like if they did, there'd, well, there'd be joints. There'd be jewels everywhere. Yes. <laughs> Um, anyway, and, and that represents the connection that happened. So I wanted to create something that told those stories. So I was like, Oh, I'll do a TV show. So I shot it. I shot a, um, a reel, I guess, with a production company that was really great. And like, we shopped it around and it didn't sell to anyone. (laughs) And I was like, motherfuckers. I was like, I don't care. I'm doing it anyway. I can't control whether or not, um, something I made, whether or not a network wants to buy something that I made, but I can make it myself and put it on YouTube or like create a web series and like just produce it myself. So, Fuck yeah. so that's what I did. And we shot it. Um, it's been a year. We shot it a year ago and we've been editing it. Also, I didn't have any money. That was another thing. I had like a very small amount of money and I've never produced anything. <laughs> no, nothing about it. I've worked in restaurants my whole life, but I was like, I'm doing it. I'm figuring it the fuck out. And that's what I did. And so now um, the first one shot, the first one's almost done editing. If I can just quit being a perfectionist asshole, it would be, would have been done a long, much longer time ago. And um, so now we have this thing, I have this thing that I made, but there's just one and I can't keep making them for free or for small money. Cause I need to quit. I can't just keep calling in favors my entire life. Um, Cause that's how I got it done so cheaply to start. Mm-hmm. So now I'm kind of at a crossroads where do I release this one? Do I release this one? Like it's like a 15 minute web series basically. Um, or do I get, or do I try and shop it again? Or do I 
um, try and raise money and make like five more. Like there's a lot of different directions I can take. And also I have the living with the crazy, with like the insane fear that like, no one's going to like it. Or everyone's going to be like, what the fuck is Courtney? You've literally been spending the past six years. <laughs> like you've been wasting your time. You know, there's so many different things sure. going through my mind that I almost just want to never release it and just call it a day. But I can't, I know that I can't, again, I know that I can't do that. Um, so that's where I'm at right now. And I'm just, I'm just, you know, every day I just take whatever step I need to take that day to push it further, a little bit further along. Um, and that's basically, did I answer your, what, did I answer your question? That was, I just like went off on a crazy tangent. No, no, no. That's, that's what this entire, uh, conversational platform is for, man. Like i I, I don't want to hear a bullet pointed, like scripted version of this the story that you'd like people to know. Like the the authentic story is far more interesting, and and that's all part of the process. I mean, you know, there's there's something very real and tangible about having an idea and putting it into practice and running it through the fucking ringer, and you realize very quickly that like your budget projection and your timeline and all of that is does it, it shouldn't even really exist because it's so fallible that it, it's fucking laughable and any person that you know anyone that and i can tell you anyone that you don't know that's ever done started anything from ground floor to you know launch where they have like a successful launch of something um it's it's an absolute neck breaker all the way through and you there's so many unknown variables and there's so much that happens but no one ever i don't think anyone ever starts a project of that that has any that that has garnered any real interest that knows everything at the beginning and has all the answers we're kind of just all making it up as we go along yeah. and you know i think it's going to end up being a better show and ultimately a better product at the end of all of this because of that for you. If Netflix or, you know, Amazon or any of those other people had just picked it up straight away, maybe, you know, over the course of that time, it wouldn't have evolved oh. into something different. Yeah. Well, yeah. When I was originally shopping it, there were of course so many calls, like so many, everyone was like, okay, this is really great. But what if we did this? And I was like, yeah. well, what if we didn't do that? And they were like, okay, I'll talk to you next week, you know, or like, you know, and so I think there's a way this has been a really important lesson for me. And, um, again, going with my gut and my intuition and being like, no, you know what, I'm going to do it my way. To me, it's worth doing it my way, even if only five people see it. Okay. At least I will have done it my way and I will have, and it, uh, well, I always walk the line also of like, how like giving up, like, okay, I, I can do it my way, but I also can't do it alone. Like I need help. It's yeah. not one, it's not like a one man show. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of people with really great ideas that can contribute to it. And like, that's also something that I'm really having to learn is like, okay, it's, it can still be my idea. It can still be my baby, but it's all right. If someone else has input and adds to it. <laughs> 
Um, and it took me a really long time. I was like, Oh wait, no, I can't, I can't create this in a vacuum. That's not yeah. possible. Um, and so that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm going to launch, I'm going to launch the social media though. Um, just probably the next couple of weeks. I'm not going to, I'm still sitting on the show. I'm still waiting to see like what's going to happen with that, but it, it will, it's some mark my words. It will fucking happen at some point. <laughs> I have and no doubt in my mind. There is not a doubt. Hopefully people will enjoy it. So I have to, if, if you can recall for me, if you feel comfortable doing it, um, because I've heard a lot of different stories from a lot of different people about how these pitch rooms go, especially in LA. <laughs> Are there specific things that you can remember where they were like, why don't we try it this way? And it was, it was just such a shitty plug um, idea straight down the barrel that like five other people had already done. Yeah. I mean, I uh, honestly, I've blocked most of it, but there was, I remember there was this one meeting with this one, with this one guy. I don't remember who was with, I don't remember the specifics, honestly, but um, I just remember he was very tan and very excited about, (laughs) I don't, I don't even know. know, It almost always boils down to like looks, right? It's like, Oh, I could totally see you like blah, blah, blah. blah. I'm like, fuck you. Like, that's not what this is about. Like, I, I I understand what you're saying, yeah, but was there specific things that they threw at you where you were like, oh yeah, we could maybe do that barf? Yeah, there were, but I honestly, it's been, it's been years since I first, like that's how long I've been working on this project. Um, um, there absolutely were, but I don't remember what they were. Uh, it's I all good. <laughs> that's how bad they were. <laughs> <laughs> You've blocked them out of your permanent memory. That's all right. So I know you spend a good amount of time. Are you, I, I would imagine you're doing the same thing in LA that you did when you lived here, which is you generally either attend and bring a large amount of food uh, to dinner parties that you're invited to, or you throw a lot of your own. Is that still something that's going down? Well, it was before. Well, obviously, yeah, yeah. Quarantine was yeah, holding. Absolutely, yeah. And that's what I mean. That's what it's all about, right? Is ha- is connecting with friends over food. So, yeah, I would say for sure that's what what I that's my general mo. And as as a as a cultivator of things, all things delicious, um, <laughs> is there is there a specific thing that you make? Do you have do you have something that you make that you're not keen on sharing because it's something that you make just for yourself? Because I know most most people that are like in the the hospitality trade, they spend so much time taking care of, you know, everyone else. They're cooking for other people all the time. I'm wondering if there's like a like a a secret, you know, yeah. secret menu that you cook just for yourself. Like when I'm alone? Or just some shit that's so good that you don't want to share it with other people because you're like, this is just for me. This is just yeah, mine. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I would say crispy tacos. Okay. Like I make them, I make them for other people. I used to make them for other people all the time with large when we did large large pop ups, but they're very labor intensive. Um, if unless you have a setup and are making them all the time, then they're fine. But like to cook crispy tacos at home, it's a lot. So like I don't. I don't bust out my crispy tacos for like a group of 12. It's like four or less. 
And, and honestly, mostly just when I'm by myself, I'm like, it's, it's a crispy taco night. Cause I, cause I like, I'll eat four of them. I'll eat four. Okay. Easily. Um, and if you think four per person, if you have four people that's already sit, you're making, you're individually frying 16 taco shells. Although I have, I figured out a hack, figured out a crispy taco hack, which I can't tell you. It's going to, it's going to, and a different project that I'm currently working on that I can't talk about really at all yet. It's going in that project. So, okay. But so, so this is, this, this is at the core of, of my question though, is do you not make them because it's so labor intensive? Because I know that really doesn't get in the way of motivating you or because just being a pastry chef or a regular, like a, a normal chef in general is so labor intensive. Do you not make them for big groups? Because a lot of the times you're like, I can make these fucking things and spend all these hours on them and they're going to be unbelievable. And these bitches aren't going to appreciate them at the level that they should. Well, Yes and no. With crispy tacos, and it's been my experience that everyone appreciates them at the level that they should. But I will also say that in LA, it's been my experience that like catering in New York versus catering in LA are two very different stories. Sure. Um, I learned the hard way or the easy way. I don't know. I learned the, the way um, in that in LA, you, you make about a quarter of the amount of food that you would make. If you're in New York, it's insane. Is it because people are just just so nervous about eating at parties? People just don't. I found that people just don't eat. People don't eat here. Like the, the, I mean, that's not like an across the board rule for LA, but most of the time, like if you're doing like kind of a bigger event, people go and they don't eat. Whereas with New York, that's not necessarily the case, at least in my experience. Um, do you have a do you have like a, a a go-to pet peeves that people will pull out when you've when you've cooked for them? Like mine, mine specifically is like if I've and there's it's generally just that one fucking person at a party that will do this, but you'll it it might be like a couple of you guys that are cooking for like a large group of people, like you've been to parties that I've cooked at with other friends and there's it's generally not an issue at at those sorts of events but like especially like catering something or you know cooking at a larger event where you're you have like a large group of people you're feeding is there a pet peeve that you have mine specifically is when nobody else is lifting a finger and they still have the audacity to come up to you and be like you know what? That was good. And then proceed to try and give you notes on like what you, oh, what yeah. they would change yeah. about it. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, absolutely. Kill yourself immediately. If you're that guy, by the way. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. Stop. I don't, that's why I don't care. Like you'd be hard pressed to get me to cater anything these days. Like sure. you have to be, um, I would cater something for you. Like the last, the last event that I catered was my friend Melinda's um, fragrance launch. And that was about a year ago. And like that, like, I don't cater for that very reason. Like, again, like I don't, just a fine line between, I just feel like catering and it's catering is a tough gig. Yeah. And not only are you cooking a full meal for a group of people that may or may not give a shit, but you're also moving. You're also literally 
It's like you're moving on top of that. You're moving the kitchen from one place to another. You're prepping food. You're serving people who at best are very appreciative and are so happy to be there and love the food. At worst, can be monsters. And then you're cleaning up and you're moving back to another kitchen and cleaning up some more. It's not an easy life. And yes, there's definitely money to be made in catering, but I'm not trying to make, I'm not, I'm not looking to be one of those people. That ain't, that ain't my money. Yeah. I've, I'm looking to make money, but not in catering, which is I've carved a hard path for myself. Like I don't want to open a restaurant. I don't want to be a caterer. I don't want to have a CPG company, but I do want to work in food. Like, where does that put me? Puts me at ruined table. And I think that's exactly where you fucking belong, man. Uh, you know, Making something out of out of thin air is is not an easy task at all. But you know, driving, you know that driving force and like the work that you do in that process. That, that's kind of the only way to make it feel like you're not working, right? It doesn't feel like work when you're doing that. Yeah. It, it feels because it's it's your baby. You know, it's like, you know, you're, you're creating this thing and it's something that is unique to you and, and, you know, it's yours to, and like, like you, like you spoke to before, like if it, if five people fucking see it, but I get it out into the world, it doesn't matter. Like I just want it out there for people to experience. And I mean, there's, there's not a whole lot of feelings that you can not a whole lot of feelings that match up to that feeling of like completing something you've worked on for a long time and seeing it, seeing it to the end, you know? Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. I All right. It. You had a ghost story for me and I want to fucking hear it. Okay. So, <laughs> so, um, I've been doing once all this, once all of the quarantine stuff happened, I was like, fuck it. I'm going to start doing Instagram live cooking videos. And, um, I, was doing one and I told while I was doing it, I explained to the people who were watching that um, I think my apartment's haunted, which I do. Like I had a magnet fly off of my fridge. I wake up in the middle of the night, most nights and just hear like really weird noises. Like someone's in my kitchen. Like one time it sounded like someone was drilling um, above me and no one was home. Cause I check. No, like it's, I live in like an apartment that's below a house since the person who lived in the house wasn't home, but it definitely sounded like someone was doing construction in the, anyway, just like a lot of weird things. So I mentioned that in my, um, in my Instagram live and someone who was watching like commented, who's like, I'm a medium. I'll do, I'll do a reading for you for like, I'll just do like a quick check-in and let you know what's happening. And so no, I, I him and I was like, are you serious? Like, please do. And he's like, yeah, sure. Of course. No problem. So he did. So this is a two part story. So before he did that, I was like, listen, if it's anything scary, I don't want to know because I'm, I live in a constant state of fear. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, I don't need anything else. And he's like, okay, fine. So then he comes back like a week later. And he's like, okay, I meditated. Here's the deal. He told me some great things in general. And then he was just like, your house is haunted by hippies. And I was like, what? He's like, you are, it's like a party house. There's a lot of people coming in and out. There's a lot of drugs. It's like a love fest, like a lot of orgies. <laughs> I'm not joking. Like, this is exactly what he said. I was like, he's like, yeah, they're just like partier, partiers. They like to have fun. They're getting bored. Like, 
like all of these things. I was like, so there's like a party happening around me all the time. And I don't even realize. And he's like, yeah, but sometimes you do realize it. And I was like, oh my God, this is fucking perfect. So that's hilarious. Happy ghost. But then like we were messaging back and forth, like, you know, just about random stuff about some other things that he said. And, and he was like, I wouldn't, he's like, I think you're more sensitive than you think you are. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm definitely sensitive. And he was like, yeah, but you told me not to tell you about anything scary. And I was like, what? He's like, but then, you, but like, then you have to know. Now you got to know. I know. And then, well, yeah, he didn't, I didn't press it because I didn't want to know. But he was like, he was like, do you wake up? He was like, do you wake up in the middle of the night? And he, I was like, yeah, I wake up every night. I'm always, almost always awake between hours of 3 and 4.30 a.m. He's like, yeah. He's like, I, he's like, I, he's like, I saw, I saw that. And I was like. And I was like, so I was like, I was like, I definitely am not, doesn't feel good. Like there's definitely like bad energy. And he just like sent me a wink, like a wink emoji. And I was like, and uh, I'm not, I can't, and I don't want to. What an asshole. I know. Well, he was being, he was trying, I, yeah, I wish that he just wouldn't have said anything. So now I'm even more scared when I wake up three in the morning. He won't tell you what it is? No, he totally would, but I don't want to know because I think it'll make it worse. Fair enough. Like he he wasn't like he wasn't a jerk about it. He was like, everything's fine, like it's all good. Like you're totally fine. Yeah. And I was like, motherfucker. <laughs> well, and, yeah. if it's any consolation to you, I think he's full of shit because I don't believe in ghosts at all. And I think you live on in an area on top of a fault line and shit shakes. And if you are haunted by hippies. There's no fucking way that story adds up because hippies don't use power drills, man. They they're like they're it's just not True. in their vocabulary. They're they're True. live and let live. They would not use power drills in your apartment. And I don't even know that power drills really necessarily existed that early. In the seventies, I think power drills existed. In the sixties, the sixties was hippies. Maybe I'm speaking out of school, but you know. Well, I don't know. All I know is a magnet literally flew off of my refrigerator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Those was crazy hippies. <laughs> crazy hippies. All right. So, damn, you hippies. Goddamn hippies. <laughs> Get out of Malibu, Lebowski. <laughs> um, so, I... I you know, I don't want to keep you on for too long. I know you're a busy lady. You have a ruined table to produce and get out into the world. Um, there is. I don't have shit to do. It's Sunday. I'm <laughs> and, talk for hours. <laughs> and we're on lockdown. Um, that's a good point. Uh, I guess so. My my only like uh, pressing question, which I think we kind of floated around, but never really got to uh, specifically. What was the moment that you realized that you wanted to get into cooking? And like, was there a specific moment that you realized that you wanted to do that? And then I guess a two-part question, now that your experience has grown to this point, can you speak to what makes what you, like what is unique to what you're currently doing based on what you've learned from all of your experiences in the past? Like, you know, because the best artists are thieves. Like, at what, what, what about what you're creating now is is very unique to you? And and how do you 
how do you kind of capture that uniqueness in, in the things that you're currently creating, you know? That's um, a really good question. And it's a really hard one to answer. Um, I think it takes a lot. So I actually have on, on my refrigerator right now, I have a bunch of photos that I took on film. Thank you very much. And there's also a thing that I wrote and I wrote it in 2016 and it's a quote by Miles Davis that says, it says, sometimes you have to play a long time to be able to play like yourself. Um, and it's a really good quote. And I, I literally wrote it out, hand wrote it, put it on the middle of my fridge. So I look at it every day. I think it's con, I think, I think that's a really hard question to answer. I, I'm constantly trying to quote unquote play like myself. Um, but I'm still also constantly learning who I am. And I don't know if that's just from just, my shit or if that's true for most people but i feel like it took me a really really long time to even allow myself to allow myself to even begin to explore who i was and what it was i had to say and what it was i wanted to do and to put and to put my true thoughts and feelings out there. And I'm, st- and I still struggle with it every day. Like some more, like, especially I've been doing like these Instagram lives, right. Which aren't like literally like 20 people like show up and watch them. Um, but like, they're really hard. Like, I feel like, you know, it's, it's really vulnerable to just put yourself out there and just to say what you think or to cook what you want to cook or to do what you think to do something that you see that's missing in the world and put and make it and put it out there is really hard. And then on top of that, not sure again, like all artists are thieves, like how much of this is me and how much of this is just other people that I admire and how do I, how can I be sure that the things that I am putting out, that they are different and they are, and they do have a different voice and it is the voice that I want to be putting out into the world. And also, I I don't know about you or anyone else, but I'm very fickle. Like I love one thing one second and the next hate it. And so it's like, well, I might say this or make this one day. Like I contradict myself all the time, but I think, and the next day I'll, I'll be like, I don't want to do that. Or like, that's, that was not good. Or like, I did it wrong. But I think maybe that's just, I think the, <laughs> I think that the most important thing, it all goes back to the intuition is I, for me, like I can tell, I can feel it when I'm doing or saying something or when I'm on the path that I'm supposed to be on. And it's just taking one step like, and, and just doing it and being okay with not everyone has to love it. Not everyone has to get it. Are you getting what I'm saying? Right now? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, it, it's the creative process is a motherfucker. And a lot of people don't realize that like, you know, when you, when you make something out of nothing and you put it out into the world, like as much as any creative person says, Oh, you know, I don't read the comments or I don't care about what people think. Everyone cares and it affects them. Oh, I've it, read the comments and it's, they suck. 
Yeah. And that majority of those people are sitting at home and they're not out there really creating anything most of the time, because if they were, they would have the perspective and the onus to be like, even if I don't like what this person is doing, I, I, I respect the fact that they're out doing this and putting this into the world and creating something. Totally. But the internet is not full of those people. It's full of trolls and idiots. <laughs> you know, these are people that are not necessarily the, the ones that you need to be taking opinions from on the end product of what you're doing, you know, and, and it's maybe the hardest thing to do is create something honest, but I think it feels, it, it, it's the most rewarding. It feels the best. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, sometimes it feels like you've literally peeled all of your skin off and you're just an open wound. <laughs> no. Yeah. But in those, okay. So to that specifically in those moments, I feel like there's a couple things that happen. You have, you have a reactionary phase where you're like, all right, fuck all these people. You know, maybe I am, you know, you know okay. So first you go, Oh God, maybe, maybe I am terrible. Maybe everything I'm doing is fake. Maybe in, and you have that moment of like imposter shock and you, you're like, Oh God, maybe I do actually suck. But then you have that retaliatory moment where you're like, fuck these people. And it kind of builds you up even more and empowers you because you're like, you know what? It, it's that prove you wrong thing. Like you, you and mm-hmm. I, I think it takes the same way that it, it takes the courage to just throw your shit in a car and move somewhere or start something from scratch. It, it takes that added element of like badassery and like, throwing your middle finger up to the world and going like, all right, I don't give a fuck what anyone says. This is what I know is going to make me feel like complete. And I have to see this through. And, you know, yeah, that's some of the best shit in the history, in in the history of the world has been created under those uh, uh, circumstances, you know? And, I was about and, to say, I was about to say, you have to have some pretty big balls to do that, but I'm said, I'm going to say you have to have a pretty big vagina to do that. Both. I mean, it, it can, conversation. Yeah, it's about um, big vaginas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm about it. I'm about about it. <laughs> Is there something specifically like a keepsake moment where you realize that? this is what speaks to me. I want to create this in in this medium. And this is what I want to give to people is, was there a moment like that for you where you realize that? Um, as far as cooking in general is concerned, not really. I wish I could say that there was, I remember as a kid, my principal of my elementary school asked me what I wanted to be. And I was like, I want to be a chef that happened. Um, but otherwise I kind of just fell into cooking. It was just my path. But for Ruined Table, um, there was a moment. I was in a really, really dark place. Um, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know what my next step was be. I was going to be. I, I always, in the past, I had always known. And I, this was a point where I was like, I don't fucking know. Like, I, don't, I know all of these things that I don't want to do. I don't know what I do. And I don't know what I do want to do. And that's a hard place to be in. And I think most people are in that place at least one point in their lives. Um, I would, I wouldn't say I was at rock bottom, but I was pretty fucking close. And I just like stopped. I just stopped and I just went inward and 
it just felt right. I just, I knew that I needed to do something with food and I knew that I wanted to make people feel good. And I knew in, in my experience, you know, I, I, I have, maybe we'll call it a chip on my shoulder. I don't know, but like, I always, I have, I'm easily triggered when I feel like people don't hear me when I feel like I have something to say and nobody's listening. And I wanted to create a platform for people to tell their stories, whatever their stories might be. And I, and I knew that I, the connective tissue that would come, that would allow people to do that would be food. And that's all I knew. I I knew that I didn't want anyone to ever feel the way that I was feeling at the time. So I wanted to create a place where that people could, and I didn't know if it was going to be a show. I still don't know if it's going to be a show. Um, but, um, I wanted to create something that allowed people to feel good and to come together and to support each other. Well, I think that is a fantastic place to finish up on this. I I mean, that, that, if that encapsulates, um, the pursuit of hopefully most people that are in the hospitality business, uh, uh, entirely, I feel like that statement was it. I mean, it's that that's the reason that anybody does this like grueling, crazily demanding job is because, you know, you want, you want to create an environment where people come together and, and feel joy and can let go of everything and, and, you know, exist for a moment together. Well, that was an absolutely fantastic conversation. And I, I feel like we, uh, we, we covered a massive amount. Um, you, except for the mysteries of Dobbin street. Oh, those will stay mysteries. Those will stay mysteries. Um, the queen of queso, the duchess of cakes, the calypso of food, creamery ice cream. Uh, <laughs> no, you're 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 the absolute best, and it was a pleasure catching up with you. And uh, I'm so psyched for you, and I'm so psyched for Ruin Table. And I know you're in this kind of like formative phase still with it, but I know it's going to be fucking awesome. And I'm going to plug it everywhere, and I can't wait to see it. Um, and yeah, man, I'm, I'm just very stoked for you. I feel like, uh, this is amazing. I'm stoked for you. I can't wait to hear all of your podcasts. <laughs> Thank you that studio. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll get there. We'll definitely get there. And uh, one day we'll solve the mysteries of Dobbin street by God. Together we will. You, me, and that medium that keeps <laughs> texting you winky faces. <laughs> Courtney, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so fucking much. I really appreciate it. I know you have a a lot going on, so the the time you took out for this is incredible. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course.